Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. What a powerful name. Jesus, it's so good to worship you in this place today. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus, Holy Spirit, that you're here with us. And we just declare that everything we do today would give glory, honor, and praise to the name Jesus. Father, we ask that you have your way, continue to have your way in this place as we continue to worship you. In Jesus' name, and everyone said amen. Amen. Thank you, worship team. God is good. Wow. So good just to worship Jesus. Amen. Well, notice it's not Pastor Bill this morning. You get Pastor Dustin today. Pastor Bill. Oh, thank you. Um, Pastor Bill is on vacation, and it's a joy to, uh, to preach this morning and just declare God's goodness. And so we're in our series on how to misuse the Bible. So if you came to church today going, I want to know how to misuse the Bible, you're in the wrong place. Because it's actually how to misuse the Bible and how to rightly handle it. And I think that second part is really important, right? We don't simply want to learn how to misuse it, or I think what we're getting to is maybe how we unintentionally misuse it, and which I think is often more the case. But we need to learn how to rightly handle it. And why? Because it's God's word. And so we want to make sure that we're rightly handling it. God's word, like his name, is everything. And so the passage of scripture that we're going to be in today, we're going to look at James chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. And if you're using one of the black Bibles in the pews, it's page 952 toward the back. So the title of today's sermon is The Prayer of Faith. Say this with me. Say, The Prayer of Faith. Let's do that again. The Prayer of Faith. So let's read this passage of Scripture together. James chapter 5, starting at verse 13. It says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Amen. That's the word of the Lord. So now we see here, and James is talking about prayer, and prayer is communion with our Heavenly Father. Prayer should be simple, but it's often a little bit complicated, right? It can be difficult at times, especially when we're going through a season of suffering or pain or mourning. Have you ever, ever struggled with prayer? I want you to know that prayer is foundational for the Christian life. Prayer is like the superpower, the Christian superpower. It's like the superpower of superpowers. And I know some of you have told me you wish you had a superpower. And I want you to know that you do. It's prayer. And God's given us this 
gift of prayer, but if we don't open it, if we don't open up our mouth, if we don't open up our ears, then we may not experience this awesome gift that God's given us. And right here in chapter 5, we see that James uses the word prayer over and over again. He uses a variation of the word prayer eight times in six verses, which is one of the most condensed teachings on prayer found in the Bible. James 5 is so rich on prayer, and it's so practical for us too. What James is sharing with us here is something that we can apply to every area of our lives, and we'll get to that. But I want us to read that passage again, and this time, let's go ahead and underline every time we see the word pray, prayer, or praise. All right, starting at verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Amen. So let me ask you a question. Have you ever prayed that it might not rain and then for three years it didn't rain and then all of a sudden you pray again and it rains? Anyone else experience that? <laughs> well, think about this for a moment. That's, that's a pretty big miracle, right? And we know God can do even greater things, but prayer can be a little confusing. Like, how does it work? And I'm not sure that after 25 years into my Christian walk that I really understand how it works. I certainly can speak to experience. I've seen a lot of prayers answered, and I've seen a lot of prayers not answered, and I've seen a lot of prayers answered differently than I expected. But in all this, when it comes to talking with God and listening for his voice, sometimes it's a little complicated to explain, right? Am I the only one? I'm the only one. It's okay. <laughs> but Isaiah 55 reminds us of this fact, and I think this is important when it comes to prayer. Verse 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And this reality that God's thoughts are way higher than ours applies to our understanding or our misunderstanding on prayer as well. And it's okay. This is just the fact. I think this is why it requires us to have faith in order to pray. And all prayer really is a prayer of faith, or at least it should be. After all, we're talking to God. It's not like we can take a picture of him right there listening. But we have faith that he hears us because his word tells us he hears us. And his word also says that he cares. But this all got me thinking, I wonder if anyone knows where faith comes from. Ephesians 2.8 reminds us that any faith we do have is a gift from God. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God. And then Hebrews 12, 2 reminds us that God is actually the author and finisher of our faith when it says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So prayer 
takes faith. And sometimes when some prayers are answered and some prayers are not answered, it can leave us with more questions, right? Have you ever experienced that? I was talking with a brother who was recently saved, recent Christian, young Christian, and we were praying together. And after we finished praying, he said, hey, I'm sorry. I just, I'm not used to praying. It's really uncomfortable for me. And, um, and so I just wanted to apologize. And I was like, no, I thought it was beautiful. There's nothing more beautiful than hearing someone pray for the first couple times in their Christian walk. And I just encouraged them. I said, prayer shouldn't be this weird thing we do. It's really just this natural conversation that we have with our Father who loves us. So just picture that. You're just talking to someone who loves you because that's what prayer is, talking to our Heavenly Father. And then he looks at me, kind of gives me a strange look. He's like, you've been a Christian for a while. Tell me, how does prayer work? Like, are there things I can say, like words I can use where God will, you know, answer my prayer and do what I want him to do? Or are there words, I thought this was a good one, are there words I can use that will make him not do what I'm asking him to do? And in that moment, I kind of felt like I was the new Christian. I was just like, hmm, this is complicated. But the more time I spend speaking with the Lord, the more time I spend listening, the more prayers I see answered, the more prayers I see not answered, the more confusing we might think prayer really is. But I think that's part of the problem with our thinking. God's ways are higher than our ways. If we look like to God as if he's this genie just to answer our prayer, we've missed the point. But that sounds like a very American thing to do. I think that's a cultural mindset and attitude or a cultural thing for us to overcome. It's, it's self-focused. Um, that's us thinking about our needs, our will. That might not be God's plan for a certain situation. And our job is to submit our plan to his plan. So the last thing I shared with them is just, here's the thing, enjoy God's presence. Prayer should be just time with the Lord. And you should probably be doing more listening than you do talking anyway. My main goal in answering that question was just to highlight the fact that it doesn't have to be this detached, transactional thing with God, that you either did it right or you did it wrong. That's not it. Prayer is communion. Prayer is worship. Sometimes it's talking. Sometimes it's listening. But it's always with God. That's the key. And James is talking a lot about prayer here in chapter 5. He eight times mentions prayer in six verses. And we want to make sure we rightly understand what James is saying. So how do we do that? Well, first, we start with the text, which we just did. And then we move quickly to the context, right? So when I'm studying a passage of scripture, I'll read it anywhere from 10 to 100 times. And then you might know it a little bit better if you read it that many times. Sometimes I'll write a song with it. I'm a musician. But I'll definitely look at what's before it, what's after it, because I don't want to take something out of context, just grabbing it and applying it over here in maybe a way that it wasn't originally intended. And the word context just means with text. So it's saying, I want to step back and see the bigger picture of what's going on here, because if we miss the context, then two things will happen. We will lose the meaning, and sometimes even worse, we'll give it our own meaning. And since we want to make sure we don't do that, after reading the text, I always say, let's move quickly to the context. So we talked about this together this last week as a staff, and we had some fun with it. Because it's kind of fun, oh, how has this been misused in the past? And what are maybe some preconceived notions we even bring to the study? So I thought I would share a couple half-truths. Just the, the name of the series is how to misuse the Bible and how to rightly handle it. So let's have a little bit of fun with this. Um, but I just want to point out a couple things that we might miss if we take something out of context here. So look at the second half of verse 13. If we interpret this 
incorrectly. Taking this verse out of context, it says, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praises. Well, if we take that out of context, we might say, if you're not singing, you're not cheerful. That just, that would just be wrong, right? How about verse 14? If we interpret this incorrectly without cross-referencing other scripture from the Bible, we might think that if someone is sick, only the elders can come and pray for them. You see that? Now look at verse 15, and this, this is a big one. This is a popular one to misinterpret. It says, the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And this is very popular, but there's some important words to look at. For example, the word save, it often refers to saving from sin, saving in a salvation, eternity, spiritual sense. Now, it can also mean to be cured of disease or restored in a physical sense as well. And we know God can do supernatural things. He does them all the time. But if we misinterpret this verse, then we might think that, well, if we had enough faith, then they would have been saved or healed. Or maybe they didn't have enough faith and we assign blame. Or, you know, maybe we just need to pray for more faith. So you don't have to be in church very long to hear these things. Here's another good misinterpretation, verse 17 and 18. If we take this out of context, we might think that if we pray fervently, that we too can stop the rain and start the rain, just like Elijah did. And if anyone wants to start praying for rain, here in Phoenix, my palm trees could use it. (laughs) We're a little short on rain. It might even be God's will if we start praying for rain and rain comes here in Phoenix. But you see, without the context, we laugh but we're likely to misunderstand or add our own interpretation to it. Does that make sense? All right, let's look at a little bit more context for James 5, and then we can look, how do we apply this to our lives? So the book of James is super practical. I love this book. We just did a men's study on it a couple months ago um, with the men here at Hope. But uh, James is explaining a lot of, or re-emphasizing a lot of what Jesus taught throughout his ministry. And he's explaining to us how we should receive wisdom from God. And he's telling us that wisdom from God will result in a life that is fruitful, even in the face of hardship. James has given us practical examples throughout the entire book on how we're to live the Christian life. James is not writing, telling us how to get to heaven. He's writing, telling us how we can experience the kingdom right now. This is all context. So let's go back to the beginning of James and read from chapter 1, verse 1, just to get a little more context. So James 1, chapter 1, says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. This is helpful for context, isn't it? Let's think about the who, what, the when, the where, the why for James writing this. So at the very beginning of his letter, he's writing to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Well, who is that? Well, that's the 12 tribes of Israel. And the dispersion, when he mentions that, it's kind of a fancy way of saying that God's people have been scattered because of persecution, largely because of the ruling government. 
But by God's grace in Jesus, we who believe, this is incredible, we get grafted in to the 12 tribes of Israel. So James is not only writing to those 12 tribes in the dispersion. He's writing to us who would say that Jesus is the Christ. He's writing to you. And scholars say that this is one of the earliest New Testament books that's written, typically thought to be a few decades from Jesus's life. So James is writing to encourage and increase our faith in Jesus. That's why I'm speaking today from, from this pulpit, to encourage and increase our faith in Jesus. So even though many saints have been scattered, they've experienced hardship, they've lost faith, James encourages us. And who better to encourage us than Jesus' own brother? Did you know that James, who writes this, is Jesus' half-brother? That's what we usually call him. I think that the hardest people to convince that you would be savior would be family. Can, can I get a witness? <laughs> but I love, look at verse 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 1. James refers to himself as a servant of the Lord Jesus. Such humility in that statement. And then in verse 6, he starts with prayer in faith. And then back in chapter 5, he ends with prayer in faith. So he's starting his entire letter about praying in faith. And he's ending with a ton of prayer and saying, pray in faith. And in the middle, what does James do? He warns us of a lot of things and gives us some practical Christian tips throughout the rest of his letter. I think of a YouTube video when I, when I think of it that way. But really, the book of James has some practical Christian tips. And the main thing I want us to walk away from today is an encouragement to pray. And I realized first service, that actually rhymes. <laughs> so if you want to say it as a rap. The main thing I want us to walk away with today is an encouragement to pray. That's right. Now, prayer is worship, and worship is prayer. This is why we have prayer nights. This is why we have worship nights. This is why we worship at our prayer nights and why we pray at our worship nights. It's why we gather every Sunday to pray and worship together as a congregation. It's all part of our relationship with God, our worship, and our fellowship with God. And like any form of communication, it takes both listening and talking. And now my mom always said that God gave us two ears for a reason. One mouth, two ears to remind us we should be doing a lot more listening than we do talking. And I don't think it's different with our relationship with the Lord. But can you believe that we have an open line of communication with the creator of the universe? That fact is amazing. I think it's really important to also note in terms of context that James, throughout his letter, gives us a lot of stuff not to do. He says, do not do a few things. And then he gives us a lot of tips, but he also gives us some warnings. So let's look at chapter 1. James says, do not be deceived, but be doers of the word. Chapter 2, he says, do not show partiality. Chapter 3, do not curse people or boast in yourself. Chapter 4, do not become friends with the world or behave worldly. In chapter 5, he says, don't grumble or swear an oath. James is telling us that our faith works itself out practically in our lives. Then right here at the end of chapter 5, the close of his book, I think sometimes whatever you put at the very end might have been that last important thing that you want us to remember. What does he say? He gives us a long list of things we ought to do, and they're all related to prayer. So here are eight lessons on prayer from James. So take some notes on this. This is all practical stuff on prayer and how we can apply that to our lives. So the first one is pray when you are suffering. 
There are going to be times when we're suffering, time when the pain of life and the suffering throws us off from God's plan. The first thing James tells us is that we need to pray. And it can be difficult to pray when we're suffering. I've been there. I believe that's part of the reason James tells us later to pray for one another. But this life can be difficult, and sometimes all we have is the Lord and prayer. But I can testify that while sometimes it's always all that we have, it is always more than enough. Okay, the next thing James says is to pray when you're soaring. If you're cheerful, sing your prayer. He pretty much covers it all right here in verse 13. Are you suffering? Pray. Are you cheerful? Sing your prayer. And I grew up thinking, as many of you may have, that we only come to God when we need something from him, when things are bad, when things are rough. I've talked to many of us in the congregation who we've talked about prayer, a few of us, and it seems like sometimes it's in those times when things are good that we forget to go to the Lord. It's almost like we can't go to him when things are good. Only when things are difficult would we approach the Lord in prayer. But right here we see that he's saying, when you're cheerful, give him praise of thanksgiving. Sing your prayer. And what I love about the Bible, it doesn't say, make sure it's a beautiful sound and it's in key. He says, lift up a shout of praise. It can you know, shout sometimes. We've been to sporting events. We know what a shout sounds like, right? If you're a parent, you know what a shout sounds like. <laughs> All right, so pray when you're suffering, pray when you're cheerful. Number three in verses 14, 15, and 16, James says, pray when you are sick or weak or need strength. This is a reminder to draw near to God when we need help. It isn't really clear whether he's talking about healing that's physical or spiritual or both, but most scholars say it includes all of the above. So the Lord wants us to pray when we're sick, when we're weak, when we need strength. I was reminded of this yesterday. I thought it was kind of funny. I didn't share this in the first service, but I, I was looking for something yesterday. I was really frustrated I couldn't find it. I was like, man, here, I'm writing this sermon on prayer. I should just pray. I prayed, and within a minute, found what I was looking for. I texted my wife. I was like, you wouldn't believe what just happened. I needed the Lord. I prayed, and he answered my prayer. And I'm pretty sure it wasn't that important <laughs> to anyone but me. But the Lord wants us to pray when we're sick when we're weak or when we need strength. And as a father of three children, my heart is just so inclined when one of my kids is having difficulty or struggling with something. If there's something I can do, I want to do it. I think of how much more our heavenly father is moved when we need help. And James is mentioning a few things here in verses 14, 15, 16. He says, call the elders of the church to pray over them, anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And clearly the most one that most unusual one for us is the use of oil. Um, But the use of oil is secondary in this passage. Again, that's important for context. Prayer is the focus. So we don't always use oil when we pray, but sometimes it's appropriate. And some theologians have studied and expressed that maybe the oil had medicinal qualities, but there's only one other mention of oil in the New Testament, and it also had to do with healing. It's kind of an interesting fact there. But it's not that the oil did the healing. The oil is symbolic. It symbolizes consecration to God. And we do this at Hope. We actually keep some anointing oil in the office. But the power isn't in the oil. The power isn't in the eldership. The power is in the name of the Lord and the power of his spirit. Amen? All right. Look at verse 15. James emphasizes again, praying with faith. And that word faith, the Greek word is pistis. And it means confidence, or expectation. I think this is a reminder to us that we're not just 
saying words into the air. James is reminding us to be confident that God will hear our prayer and work it according to his will. This is not a get prayer quick scheme where all your dreams come true. And you can't get this kind of faith from the school of prayer. Rather, God is the author of our faith. We read that in Hebrews 12 too. God is the giver of our faith. That's Romans 12, 3. And then Hebrews 11, 1 reminds us of this confidence, this expectation. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So we're to pray with the measure of faith that God has given us. And I think to some degree that may be different among different people. But do we need anything else? Isn't it awesome how our perspective is greatly changed when we pray with faith? Come on. We can be a people of God who pray with faith. Daniel 3 tells an incredible story. I don't know if you're familiar with this story. King Nebuchadnezzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We're going to read some of it in this passage. We won't read the entire story, but I'd suggest going back to it. I think it's one of the most wonderful stories in the Bible, and it speaks about the prayer of faith. So we're going to look at that. We're going to start in Daniel chapter 3, starting at verse 3, and we'll put it up on the screen. But it starts right here, and it says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold. And why did he make it? So that people would worship. Basically, King Neb wanted to create an idol for everyone to worship. It probably wasn't an American idol. It was a Babylon idol. Probably didn't sing very well, but he put it right there in the middle so everyone would know, here's the idol, we're going to worship it. So he commands all of the kingdom officials, he commands all the people in the kingdom, when you hear the music, you must fall down and worship this golden idol. And whoever does not fall down, here's the catch, and worship immediately, you're put to death by a fiery furnace. And so what did the people do? Well, they're smart. They obeyed the king. When the music came on, the horns started playing, they fell down and worshiped this false idol that their king had made for them. Now, the Bible says that there were some enemies of the Jews, because there were these three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And there were some people that noticed, hey, when the music comes on, these guys aren't falling down and worshiping. And so they kind of tattle to the king and, and let the king know. Let's pick up right there. It's Daniel chapter 3, verse 12. And this is the Chaldeans speaking. These are the enemies of the Jews, and they're talking to King Nebuchadnezzar. They say, O king, there are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. Then King Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I've set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I've made, well and good. But if you do not worship, if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, 
that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Do you get the picture here? These guys are saying, we trust God, but even if he doesn't show up, that's a prayer of faith. I mean, they were, they were a little bit disobedient, but I think they were skillful. They kept referring to him as, oh, king, and they're obviously showing their faith, but a little sassy, right? Nothing shows your faith like putting your life on the line. Let's go verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the fiery furnace. The furnace was so hot that the soldiers bringing them in died. They were killed from the fire. Now at this point, I either have some insane faith or I'm starting to second guess my thoughts here on walking toward this fiery furnace. It's one thing to have faith, but it's another thing to get thrown into a fire or have faith when you're in a difficult situation. So verse 24 Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound who showed up. Jesus. He says, I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning, fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair on their heads was not singed. The cloaks were not harmed. Even their clothes weren't harmed. I love that. And no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruins. For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. The king tried to kill him, and he couldn't, and so he promoted them. This is not a good strategy for your career. Just saying. Don't don't take this out of context. (laughs) But there's a lot more we could say about this passage, right? But for us today, can we consider the faith of these three? They did not compromise. They trusted God to the point that they said, we believe God's going to show up. And here's the kind of follower of Jesus I want to be. But even if he doesn't, I'm not going to be moved because I trust him. That's a prayer of faith. 
I mean, love that story. I was like, we should just end it there. But we got four more lessons <laughs> from James 5. So we've covered pray when you're suffering, pray when you're cheerful, pray when you need strength, pray in faith, and then look at verse 16. James says, pray for one another. And this means that we need to open up and be transparent about our lives with at least one other person, right? If we're going to have people pray for us, they need to know who we really are. They need to know what we're really struggling with. And that's what the body of Christ is supposed to do. And we see it throughout all of Scripture. Give to those in need. Forgive your enemies. Bless your enemies. Carry one another's burdens. And part of the way we do that is by praying for one another. And this is also part of the reason we offer small groups as part of our ministry here at Hope. But we need to let the people around us know what's really going on. I'll never forget the moment a guy walked into church for the first time. I hadn't seen him before at church. And he came up and he said, came right up to me and said, I'm new in town and I need a friend who knows me. I need someone who knows everything about me. I need an accountability partner. And I was like, that sounds, sounds like something God would call me to do. So if, yeah, let's do that. Let's do that thing. And you can bet I know how to pray for that guy still 25-ish years later. Still know how to pray for him. Who knows how to pray for you? Is God bringing someone to your mind today? And if it takes a moment, maybe you need to find that person who can know all of your strengths, know your weaknesses, and can pray for you. That's how good God is. Prayer is a gift to us. So let's pray for one another. Okay, number six. In verse 17, James tells us, pray fervently. Another translation said earnestly or passionately. Now, I looked this passage up in the Greek, too. I, I love doing that. And it literally says, pray, praying, which reminded me of something that one of my friends says. Maybe you've heard it before, too. He says, pray until you pray. And it's kind of cool. We have a scripture right here that says that. But have you ever tried that before? I think there are times when we need to dig a little bit deeper than just normal prayer. A little bit deeper than just praying and giving thanks for our food. Might sound like something that just doesn't fit you because of your personality, but I promise you, this is something we can do. There's so much opportunity to pray throughout our day. The moment we wake up as we're opening our eyes, or maybe before we open our eyes, why don't you try this? Pray. Just commit your day to God. Then as you're brushing your teeth, pray, you know, silently in your head, and listen for God's voice. When you hug a loved one in the morning, give God thanks that you have someone to hug. When you're driving to work and making that first phone call, pray that it's a divine appointment. When you walk into work, give God thanks for a place to work and pray that you'd be light to that place and salt to that place. If you work at home, pray two times because working from home is awesome <laughs> and that's a blessing. If you work for yourself or own a business, pray that God would give you the ability to steward those resources for his purpose. You see all the opportunity we have to pray. And I think we're just getting started. Maybe we need to go home today and create a big list of things we could pray about, situations we could pray. And I think we'd come up with all day long, I think we'd come up with a thousand examples. I want to actually try that sometime. But it reminds me of when the Apostle Paul said, he said, pray continually. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, Paul says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstance for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. If you're ever wondering, God, I just wish I knew your will for me. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, 
Give thanks in all circumstances. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Notice that he didn't say getting all your prayers answered is God's will for you. He's saying what James is saying in chapter 5. He's saying rejoice, pray all the time, give God thanks all the time in every circumstance. And as Christian people, this is God's will for us. And if it was impossible to pray without ceasing, I don't think he would say it here. So let's be people who pray with a passion. One of my uncles, he said, pray with a passion, (laughs) passionately. All right, number seven, and this is a massive one. Pray when we need the supernatural power of God. Verses 17 and 18, James references Elijah here, and he makes a great point. Did Elijah stop and start the rain? No way. God used him to do many miracles, but Elijah couldn't do that. So what's he do? He prays, and God used that prayer to fulfill his purpose. Isn't that awesome? Man, there will be times in our lives where we need the supernatural power of God. Sometimes those are the scariest times to pray. I'm just testifying. I've had a few of those happen. I'm like, well, Lord, if you don't show up, I'm going to look really silly here. But I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to pray. And I think that's when we need to be people of faith and trust not in our own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all our heart. And sometimes, you know what? He'll show up just how we asked. And other times, he'll show up differently. I feel like most of the time, he shows up a little bit differently. But sometimes, he'll show up just as we ask. And that's when the things that we're praying about, we're praying for, aren't just these idols in our heart. Just like King Nebuchadnezzar, God's not trying to help us set up more idols. But as our heart is grown to be more like Jesus' heart, then God will begin to answer a lot more of those prayers the way that maybe we expect him to. But we trust that God's plan is perfect, his will is perfect, and he's working it out to the good, amen, according to his purpose. Now, Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 6, write this down because you're going to want to go back and read this later, God already knows what we need before we ask. And I remember reading that a couple years ago. And it was like I read it for the first time. And I was like, the next thing I would expect Jesus to say is, so don't ask. God already knows. I mean, if God knows you have what he wants you to have. And if you don't have it, he doesn't want you to have it. But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, so ask like this. And then he shares what I call the disciples prayer. And if you read through that prayer, you'll see it reveals communion with the Lord. That's a prayer of faith. It reveals closeness to God, tenderness with the Lord in that prayer, confidence in that prayer, forgiveness in that prayer, worship in that prayer. Because the goal isn't to get something from God. The goal is just time with God. Just as a father, I'm just thinking, there's nothing I enjoy more than just time with my wife and my kids. Man, such a gift. Okay, number eight, James tells us to pray whenever people are straying or wandering. This is verse 19. And this last one is sort of indirect if you read it. But I think he mentions it here, right after he's talking about prayer for a reason. Did you know it's okay to pray for people who are straying or wandering? We don't just have to gossip about it. We don't just have to share our frustrations about it. We can pray about it. That includes praying for ourselves. We know best when we need prayer, right? And again, that might be one of the toughest times, one of the most difficult times when we really need it. I'll be embarrassed if I tell someone I need prayer for this, or I'm embarrassed I need prayer for this. But James reminds us to pray for people 
who are wandering away. James reminds us to pray for people who are feeling distant from God. Is that you today? Is that a mother or father? Is that one of your brothers or sisters? Maybe your friend? If so, the good news is God is only a prayer away. Oh, I love that. That's beautiful. It's only a prayer away. And our role is not to save people. Only Jesus can do that. But Jesus did say that there is one thing. They will know you're my disciples by one thing, your love for one another. Jesus didn't say, everyone will recognize you're my disciples because of your Tesla, which is a great car. Jesus didn't say they'll recognize you're my disciples because you have a pool in your backyard, which is a great thing to have in your backyard, especially in Phoenix. He didn't say they'll recognize because you have a really nice job. Jesus said they'll know your mind by your love for one another. And God so loved us that he sent Jesus, his only son, that we might be saved by faith in him. But God's love is not just meant to be received. God's love is meant to be shared, shared with those around you, shared with the brothers and sisters around you, shared with the unbelievers around you, the ones who don't know, who don't love, who don't follow Jesus. God's love is given to you so that you can share his love with them. We all have a pulpit. We're all preaching a gospel every day. We preach it through our actions. We preach it to our families at home when no one else is around. We preach it to our coworkers at work. We preach it everywhere we go, even the grocery store. And my hope and prayer is that we would always be preaching the gospel of love, the gospel of truth, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Romans 5.5 5 reminds us that God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. If you're a Christian, then God has sent his love to you that you might send it to others. And this is how the world will know that you're a disciple of Jesus. It's by God's love. So if you feel like something's missing in your life, if you feel like you don't have this love inside of you, if you've not yet given your life over to the Lord Jesus, if you've not yet surrendered your plan and purpose for his plan and purpose, if you've not yet confessed your sin and declared your need for Jesus, then you may not yet have received what God has in store for you. And I want to invite you today to receive Jesus. If God is stirring this in your heart, then maybe today is the day where you would declare that Jesus is the Lord and Savior of your life. And it's simple. It's a gift. You just receive it. Romans 10 tells us in verse 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So let's be men and women who draw near to God with a prayer of faith, letting our hearts, our minds, our passions, our desires be focused on communing with the Lord. Communication is the uh, transmission of information. Communion is oneness. That's why we don't call it communication with the Lord. That's why we call it communion. It's, it's oneness. And let's have the conviction that even if God doesn't show up the way we want him to, we are still worshiping. We're going to worship even if he doesn't. What is the King Nebuchadnezzar in your life? What, what is the, the thing that's trying to get you to bow to it? Maybe today we just make a fresh commitment 
to say, Lord, I'm not going to bow to these idols, but I am going to bow to you. And even if you don't show up, I'm still going to worship you. So when we're suffering, we will worship you. When we're cheerful, we will worship you. When we're sick and need strength, we will worship you. We will worship with faith, believing that God is who he says he is. When we see others in need, we will pray for them. We will pray fervently and with passion. We will pray even when we need supernatural power of God to show up. We will commit to loving and praying for those who are wandering and walking away from God. Let's be people who pray with faith. Amen. Can we commit to that today? Just maybe a fresh encouragement. And even if he doesn't show up, we're still going to trust him. We're still going to love him. We're still going to worship him. Can we stand together today just as we pray and close? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. God, help us today. We need your help. We declare our dependency on you, Jesus. Would you change us in this place today by the power of your word, by the power of your spirit, God? You're so worthy, so kind, so loving. Help us to love you back in the same way that you've loved us, Lord. So today as we respond and worship, God, may it be faith-filled worship. If we're cheerful, may we sing loud. If we're suffering, may we still sing loud. But may these be prayers and not only words that we sing. In Jesus' name, amen.